guys, good morning, good to see you today. This talk that we're going to have today was actually the one responsible for sparking this entire how-to series that we're doing this year. For those of you maybe who are newer with us at Fellowship of Faith, all this school year, what we're doing is going through the how-tos of following Jesus in the Christian faith. Because what we found is that so much of what we do here in the name of Christ is couched in ideas but leaves us hanging when it comes to the practicalities. And sometimes we just need to know how to go about doing something. Sometimes we just need the basics. Sometimes we just need some step-by-steps, especially for those of us who are sincerely trying to figure out how the intersection of our life and our faith work together. And so it was this talk that actually sparked this entire school year-long journey that we've been taking this year. And it's, it's an issue that we found that our younger people especially seem to struggle with, and that their parents seem to struggle with. And it's an issue that, that is, is, is sincerely wrestled with, that even causes uh, guilt and division and, and, and frustration and, and, and people feeling like they're at odds with each other. And, and the topic that we're talking about today is how to be a Christian athlete. Now, off the bat, It's not a metaphor. I am not talking about how we all strive to win or fight the good fight or endure and persevere to the end, how we all, you know, race to the finish in life. I mean, that may be true for you. I'm not talking about it. I'm actually talking about Christian athletes, those of you who actually engage in physical sports, those of you who are in the game. Because what I found is that we have a lot of people who love the game. They love what, what they feel like when they play it. They, they love what they become because of it. They love the camaraderie and the team. Or some don't even like the game that much, but they just like belonging. They like being a part of something with their, their community at school or a community in their neighborhood. They like the connection that comes from it. And yet, there's sometimes this tension of how that love fits with this love that we call Christ over here. I found a struggle for parents of Christian athletes, especially parents whose Christian athletes are still living at home, who love watching what their kids are doing and how their kids are growing and, and the victories, but also the, the, the perseverance through defeat that, that they get to see their kids have. And yet at the same time, sometimes feel completely victimized by the schedules. Feel like they're pulled in, in, in 19 different directions, especially as conferences widen their radiance, radiuses to an hour in every direction. As Sunday morning sports becomes more and more the norm. I remember in my generation, Sunday morning sports was relegated basically to the, the, the rare tournament that you would go to. And a couple of outliers who did these things called travel sports that no one really heard of at that point, or maybe hockey players who could only get ice time at like 4 a.m. on a Sunday. But today, that Sunday morning sports 
sports reality has become more of a reality. It's not going away anytime soon. And both students and parents find themselves in this struggle of how to navigate the two, which often results in with a, a pang of guilt going, well, we'll do the sports season now and leave church till later because let's face it, it'll always be there. And there's no consequences from the people who go there if I skip, unlike the team or the coach that might bench me. And so today... I want to talk about this question, the how-tos of being a Christian athlete. Because if that's not enough, in the midst of this comes churches and church workers as well that often get judgmental in the mix. Making assumptions that if you love God, then their ministry has to be the highest priority. And this mess just kind of oozes out and both sides, I wonder, I fear, often miss the point that it's really not about the sports team or about church at all, but about something deeper. I want to talk to you about how to be a Christian athlete. And I know right now I'm speaking directly to some of you because some of you here are athletes. And so what I'm going to share with you today, I hope speaks directly into your life and into the struggles you might have as you figure out how to navigate sports, and faith, but I know many of you here are parents of athletes as well, and this has a, a, a direct impact on you too, because as you seek to influence and raise your kids, the way that you navigate this journey is going to bleed over to them, but I also know that there is a lot of you, at least it's my suspicion, who would rather sit on the couch and eat chips and watch Netflix any day than ever break a sweat or pick up a ball. (laughs) We know our church well. I want you to hang in there with me today. Because if you do, I think you're going to discover that while I'm talking about being a Christian athlete, I'm talking about something so much more that equally applies to all of you. And I want to teach you this word here today. It's a word that many of you probably think you know but might not know in this context. And that word is vocation. Now, I say vocation. And immediately, my bet is that most of your minds run to, like, the job that I get paid for, right? That's my vocation. And so if you had a Christian vocation, that would, well, back in, like, Martin Luther's day, mean being something like a priest or a monk or a nun. Today, it would get extended to maybe any kind of church worker or missionary. But when Martin Luther back in the 1500s would talk and think about this word vocation, he brought a very different angle to it. Because what he saw was something that went far beyond getting paid. Because what he saw is that spirituality is not just about what happens in churches, but spirituality, true spirituality, the spirituality that God wants is something that's meant to permeate all of life, and that we're not called to retreat from this world or disengage, but called to be a part of it. And as we're a part of it, we have roles, positions, responsibilities, 
opportunities, some for which we may be paid, some for which we're not, some which may be thrust upon us, and some which we may have walked into willingly. But in either case, for Luther, these are our vocations. The roles that we have, the responsibilities we take, the jobs that we do, the positions we own, the opportunities that we take a hold of. These are our vocations. And what this talk is really about today is how we embrace our vocations in light of following God. Which means that for some of you here who are Christian athletes, you've taken on a vocation with your team. And so we'll be speaking about that today, but we'll be speaking about something so much more. For those of you who are not just Christian athletes, but Christian moms or Christian dads. Those of you who are Christian band members or Girl Scouts. Those of you who are are Christian mechanics or dentists. Those of you who are Christian's brothers, not in the spiritual metaphorical sense, like actually biologically connected and Christian friends. Those of you that are Christian gamers and Christian foodies. Those of you who have embraced any kind of responsibility, role, or position in life. What it is that God wants of us, or or better put, how to honor him as we embrace the vocations he gives us. That's what I want to talk to you about today. Now, I'm going to lay out three focal points, if you will. And you need to think of this like a stool with three legs. Kick out one of them, and the whole thing topples. I want to share with you three ideas here today, three principles on which this idea of honoring God in our vocation is built. But you need to hear me now. You can't just pick your favorite. You have to embrace all three. Otherwise... This intersection of vocation and faith, it crumbles. And Christian athletes, the first of these is this. Embrace it. I mean, embrace your vocation. There's this this mentality I see that creeps out there often, sadly, in Christian circles, that we come across these things that, you know, we're passionate about, these things that we love, the sport or the game that you pour yourself into and that that, that you find life from and, and, and connection from, but that if you love God, you somehow have to diminish it, minimize it, or mute it. No. No, that vocation... It's a gift of God. And he wants you to embrace it. There is this strange, sad, Gnostic tendency that creeps into the church today where the church seems to want to separate the spiritual from the rest of life. As though what God is mainly concerned with is what happens in a place like this. And that what God is mostly interested in is things like hymn books and baptismal fonts. But the God of the Bible is a God 
who is interested in your life out there. And he wants you to embrace it. It strikes me as curious that so many people of the Bible meet God out there in deserts and on mountains, on threshing floors and in combat, on the road or while fishing, meeting them in their to God, to minimize those vocations, because this is what God wants you to engage in as you're called to be in the world and not hidden from it, to embrace it fully, to embrace your sport, your game, your role, your responsibility, to embrace it fully with joy and with passion, striving to, to be better, to win, to overcome to persevere, learning to pick yourself up when you get knocked down, learning to play hard to the end, even against certain defeat, learning to do a different way. This is what brings God glory. An early church pastor by the name of Irenaeus says it so beautifully. He writes, the glory of God is man fully alive. And I know that for many of you, your vocations bring you life. You feel alive when you're on that court or your field. And God is delighting in it. I love how Paul writes when he says, whatever you do, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord not for men. It is the Lord Christ that you're serving. That when you go out and you play, or you engage, you do it not for your coach, not for your mom who's sitting in the stand, not for the cute girl that you're trying to impress. All of these have their place. But above all, you're doing this for God because you know what? God is in the stand. And he's watching you play. And he's cheering for you when you score. And he's pulling for you when you miss. He's delighting and watching the delight you have when you're embracing the vocation that you've taken. He's delighting in what you do. And he says, play the game. Play it hard. It's a gift from me. Play it with all your soul. Embrace it. Because when you're fully alive, it glorifies me. What's fascinating to me about this passage, though, is to who Paul actually writes it. Let me read you the verse that comes right before. It says this. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it not only when their eye is on you to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. It's fascinating that he writes this to slaves. And slaves above anyone would have every right to dial it in, to do it halfway. To just kind of like, you know, check it in. 
or maybe on the other side, to see what they do as lacking worth. See, God doesn't care what your vocation is, whether it's big or small, significant or just a game. He says, whatever you do with all your heart, not for them out there, but as though you're doing it for me and in relation to me. And what I found is that for people who are able to approach their vocation that way, suddenly something starts to transcend the mundanity of the moment. Something starts to transcend the toxic team environments, the scoreboard, or the dysfunction with the coach that exists that day. Because when you play for something more than the team, more than the coach, or more for mom and dad's expectations, something begins to shift. And you realize that no matter what is happening here in the moment, what you do is being cheered by him. And that leads to the second, which is this. Be different. Because what I found is that there are some people who love the vocation so much that it becomes everything to them. And they'll do anything to get ahead. But see, if you're a Christian athlete, Jesus calls you to a different way. He calls you to be different, to do it differently. That in your vocation, you always bring honor with him. That you conduct yourself with integrity. That you always live by honesty. That things like fairness and truth dominate the table. That what, what, what the Bible will describe as the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and discipline, that these will be the things that dominate how you play the game. It might cost you to be sure. It might make you stick out. It might make you unpopular. Jesus, quite frankly, doesn't care. He says, here is this amazing gift. You do it different. Be different. As I am different, Jesus might have to say. That's how I want you to play the game, which, of course, will lead to this third and final one. I want to share with you today. Martyrdom. Because see, here's the thing. If you really are a Christian athlete, there will come a point when your love of the vocation and your allegiance to Christ will be at odds. And there will come a point when it will cost you. I assure you this is not an if situation. It's a when. And, and don't expect 
team members or, or coaches to get it. You know, that you're a, a Christian athlete. Because their devotions to their team. It should be. And even if they call themselves Christians, don't expect them to get it. Because that's where they live. You have to make up your own mind for yourself. You are the one who has to choose. And no one can do it for you. When those two worlds come to collide... What will you choose? Because what I found in the life of every Christian athlete, there comes not just the moment, but regular moments when you'll simply have to ask yourself, where's my allegiance? To my team? Or to Christ? To the love of the game? Or the love of the kingdom? To my reputation with my friends or my reputation in heaven. And no one, not your parent, not your coach, no one can ever make that choice for you. I like how Peter puts this. Let me show you this passage. He writes, but even if you should suffer for what is right, You're blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened, but in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Let me read to you just a little bit more of what he has to say. He goes on, and he says this. But in your hearts, always set Christ apart as Lord. Be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Keep a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. And you'll suffer. We live in a culture that gives certain legal protections, but we know how it works. You might be ridiculed. You might be benched. You might lose game time. You might lose priority and and, and special status on the team. You might lose respect. But how does Jesus say it? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people make fun of you, talk about you, and bench you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. For in the same way they benched the prophets who were before you. If you are going to be a Christian athlete, at some point, you have to accept that you will be a martyr. It is not an if. It is a when. And in those moments, it comes down to this. Simply this, your priorities. 
I know that for many of you here today, to be honest, your love is really the game. But I want you to heed Jesus' words here today that no one can serve two masters. Either he will love one and hate the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both equally. Because as good as our vocations are, what Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount is that they're temporary. They are wonderful and good and powerful things, but they are temporary. And how sad it is when we throw away things of eternal value for the joy that something offers us here today. I want to speak to those of you here who are Christian athletes who find yourselves in this fray and encourage you to challenge yourself in the allegiances of your heart and your love and your devotion as you play the game? Is it something done in, 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 in honor and glory to God? Or something done in place of him? I want to encourage those of you who are Christian athletes here today, who call yourselves Christian athletes by name. Imagine what it would be like to say that you're on a team. That you love your team, but you never go to practice with them. You can say you're on the team all you want, but are you? Really? For those of you who are Christian athletes and in your love of the game, you relegate God to a few fleeting thoughts and Hail Mary prayers when the clock is ticking down, but never actually gather with his team or come to practice. That's what we do here today. Are you, as John might say, deceiving yourself? Is the truth actually in you? So as we approach our passions, our roles, and our responsibilities, as we play the game and engage in this thing called life, embrace it. But embrace it differently. And always be ready to sacrifice everything for the God who gives you these opportunities. Willing to honor him no matter what it costs you, that's what it means to be a Christian athlete. And whatever your vocation today, can I just encourage you? Be it an athlete or whatever else, if those three legs are not something you are willing to base your vocation on today, don't call yourself a Christian athlete. Just call yourself an athlete. 
But maybe in that realization, come and seek Christ today. Because he tells you something. And here it is. Right out of the Sermon on the Mount. Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and all other things will be given you as well. Now I want you to imagine this morning. Just entertain the possibility that that is actually true. That if you seek first God in his kingdom, that all other things will be given to you as well. Because Jesus' promise to you is this. You can take me at my word on that. And I can't wait for you to discover if you do the untold possibilities that start to open up before you. Because when you seek God first, everything else falls into place. But when you seek everything else, nothing really seems to have a place. But God gives the choice to you. Be a Christian athlete. God will smile on you. We commune today. We eat today to nourish our souls, to strengthen us in our intersection of life and faith. As we come to this meal, from the earliest times, Christians would examine their hearts. And as you think about your vocations here today, I invite you to think about the position of your own heart, the choices that you've made, your allegiances here today. And know that the God who made this world and the giver of the good gifts you embrace loves you. And wherever you might be, welcomes you to come to him and into his presence here today. So we're going to do just that. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. While they start to prepare, let's just take a few moments. Let you just kind of pray in your own way. Give yourself that space. Let's come to God today. Lord, on behalf of every Christian athlete here, on behalf of their parents, on behalf of every other person and their vocation today, search our hearts. Yeah.